People First podcast is a show presented by people with learning disabilities for our friends and community. We talk about issues that are important to us and interview interest guests to find out new information. This is our way to make a difference. Hello and welcome to the People for Potter. Today we have a live broadcast recording from an event called Dying Matters. This was an event where we talked about dying, making plans for death and grief. At the event our office team interviewed my outside policy chair conducted some of the questions that you could answer with empathy. We hope you enjoyed our very first live broadcast recorded on stage at the event. Hello everyone, my, my name is Adrian Swallow and I am Membership Officer at River First Griffin Craven. Hi, my name is Stephen Wrightside and I am Heron Safety Officer at, at, at River First Griffin Craven. On behalf of all our colleges, we want to welcome you all to our last broadcast interview session. We are friends of our organisation, Mark Hughes. This is Mark, I love it, I'm Mike is a retired palliative care consultant. He works at Airdale Hospital and my lands for many years. We have asked him to come to speak with us to share his experiences that he gained in his career by taking him to London, Kenya and Keepley. We also asked him to speak with us because he has a special interest in support the learning disability community. If you have any further questions for Mike, he is happy to talk with you in private. I hope you enjoy our live broadcast interview. Where do you plan to die? No, thank you for asking me to come and hoist this, be part of this question and answer session. As you've heard, I'm a retired palliative care consultant, and like the last speaker here said, my heart is now pounding, <laughs> so I'm out of practice. But I, I was working it out, I was in palliative care for 30 years, so 300 people a year, that's about 9,000 
patients and families that I've helped to care for, but not just myself as part of a big team. Very much, it's very much a team business. Um, but I keep on learning, um, and I'm even learning today. It's just been phenomenal how um, people are sharing their stories and teaching us how to talk about death and dying. So the first question was, when should, I, when should you plan for dying? But well, I think we've heard the answer today is now. Because <laughs> although we all know theoretically the life cycle that we're all going to die, none of us really expects it to happen to us, especially now, soon. Um, so, and we really should be planning for the unexpected, although it should be expected. So the answer is now. But there's sort of two ways of planning. There's the theoretical planning, okay, I might die one day, what should I put in place? And then there's, oh dear, I've been told I've only got six months to live, or a close friend or a member of my family hasn't got long to live, what planning do I need to do then? I think for the first one, it, it, so many things have been talked about today, but the classic is writing a will. I'm a parent of someone with a learning disability, Finn, <laughs> who's sitting next to me, he wanted to come. Um, and I have to think what happens when I'm not here for Finn and start planning. And we haven't, we've done a bit of it, we've set up a trust, but there are other things we need to do. Um, Everyone should be thinking about writing a will. Everybody could start thinking about their own funeral plan and what they would like in their funeral. Everyone should talk openly about death and dying with each other now, even when it's safe, because it's not in the imminent future. Everyone, um, you know, they talk about bucket lists, and we've heard today about living for today, because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So you can plan by living your life to its best at the moment, not knowing if you're going to be there tomorrow, but hopefully you will. And then you've got the situation where you're facing an end-of-life illness and what planning you need to, to put in place then. Um, again, we've heard about some of the things today, um, the respect form, the... But, but they're just terms, for really they're asking a simple question is what do I want and anyone can answer that question um, what do I want where do I want to be when I die do I want to be at home do I want to be in hospital do I who do I want with me do I want my family with me do I want friends do I want to be comfortable do I want to talk about it at all because not everybody wants to talk about it there isn't a right answer for everybody so uh, I think the next question, we'll talk a bit more about the planning for um, if you're going to die soon, but um, we'll move on to the next question. How can we pl planning help death to be more peaceful? So how can planning help death to be more peaceful? That, you know, with all my experience, I can genuinely say that planning usually helps to make things more peaceful. Trouble with planning, things don't always go as expected. I know people, you know, lots of people have birth plans for when they're having children and they're going to be at home or in a bath and they end up having a caesarean section because you never know what's going to, how things are going to work out. But there are things that can help make death more peaceful. And one is talking about it in advance with friends and family, carers, um, so that it's not a shock or a surprise. 
that you've had a chance to say the things you want to say as the person who's dying and then people can tell you what they want to tell you. Hopefully it's good before you die. <laughs> the, um, then you can, with things like the respect form, you can say what sort of care you want. So if you don't want to die in hospital, then you might say, look, if I get very ill, I know I haven't got long, unless you really think it's going to make a difference, I want to stay at home. Um, it may be that you don't want to be resuscitated, because often in a life-threatening illness, that resuscitation never works anyway, and all, all it does is end you up being in hospital. So it can be better not to be for resuscitation. Um, you can involve people, your doctor, your nurses, your GP, the palliative care teams, so that they can put in a plan of care so that um, when you do reach a crisis at home, hopefully you'll be able to stay at home, um, and hopefully all the drugs, all the care package will be there ready to start to enable you to stay and to die peacefully at home. But obviously that doesn't always happen because a lot of people do die in hospital and a lot of people die in hospices. And it is possible to die peacefully and with care in those places as well. And what's right for one patient is not right for another. So it's looking at the individual. But the main thing is talking about it um, in an open and honest way and trying to work out what you want, tell people what you want, and then maybe write it down. Yeah. Is it important for people to be there when loved ones are dying? Well, maybe I should ask the audience. <laughs> so put your hands up if you think it's important that loved ones are there. Yeah, I think most people agree with that. Although not always. Because <laughs> what's right for one people is right, not right for another. I remember one patient um, who didn't want their family to be with them. They wanted to die on their own. And that was partly because they didn't want to see them, them to see them um, being so weak and ill. And it took a lot of convincing to the, for, the, for us to tell the patient that really wouldn't it be better for the family to be there. Um, and in the end, she did agree and the family came. Um, but we all want the loved ones around us and the easiest way of doing that is to either be at home or in a hospice when the time comes. Although it is still possible in a hospital, it's usually better at home. And again, it's about communication, because for people to be, for people to be there, you have, had, have to have talked about it, so they're prepared and can get there quickly if they need to be. Sometimes people with learning disabilities are shielded from difficult, from difficult subjects. That death by people who love, who love them. That is so understandable. But what effect does that have if a person with a learning disability isn't told that they or someone they love is dying? Again, we've. I think it's been touched on today, but. Just hearing people with learning disabilities talk about their experience of death and grieving, I think, answers that question. That usually it's best for people to be told what's happening. That in palliative care, there's a saying that you be gentle with the truth. 
So you don't have to go out straight away and say, oh, dad's dying, you know, get prepared, pull your socks up, everything will be all right. You can tell, first of all, you try and find out what the person's experience of death is, or dying, or being ill, whether they know people that have died before. Um, and then once you've got an idea of what their understanding is, then you can start to gently start to tell someone maybe they're dying or, or maybe someone close to them's dying. I was thinking of Finn. He's had a slightly unusual upbringing because my wife was in palliative care as well. And we used to sit around the dinner table and Finn would say, has anyone died today? <laughs> <laughs> so Finn, Finn has talked about death and we've always taken him to funerals. I remember, sadly, Jerry's sister died in her early 50s and we went over to Ireland for the funeral and we were worried about how Finn was going to cope. But at the end of the funeral, Finn rushed out, left us and went over to Jerry's sister's husband um, and hugged him and said, let me help you out. And he ended up helping us more than we helped him. But. <laughs> I mean, you've heard the stories today about how important it is to talk. But it isn't easy. Um, sometimes you need help on how to do it. And that's where you might talk to the learning disability nurse or talk to your GP um, or, or, or a friend or someone else who has a relative with a learning disability and how you help to talk. And everybody's different. I, I remember a patient at Manolan's who had advanced breast cancer, she was only in her 20s, and she had a very severe learning disability and she couldn't talk or communicate at all. And her, although her mum had an understanding of how she was, but her mum was adamant that it wasn't right for us to tell her that she was dying. We went through all the reasons why we thought it might be beneficial, you know, you, you'd get a chance to say goodbye, other people could come in and say goodbye. But in the end, we respected her mum's views because her mum knew her daughter best. And because of the... We could never really understand what the patient was saying. And in the end, we never did tell her that she was dying. Um, we'll never know whether she knew it or not. But for her mum and for the rest of the family, that was the right decision. But for most people, it is better to talk. But it's an individual decision. There isn't a right answer for everyone. I am worried. Some people going to be difficult. They may not know what to expect. How might someone appear, sound, behave when they they die? Hi, that's another a difficult question. You know, what's it like to die? Obviously, I've been involved with. Many people, I've said already, many thousands of people who have been near end of life. I haven't been at the end with them for most of them, but um, if, if, if the good care package is in care, in place, all, all symptoms are controlled with the appropriate drugs and people have asked for help, then most people die peacefully. And usually it's just a process of gradually getting weaker. Um, so there's a saying that, how long has my relative got? People often ask me. Um, and I used to say, again, I never know the answer because unexpected things can happen. 
but usually if people are getting weaker over months, then you can say that they've got a few months to live. If they're getting noticeably weaker over weeks, then you might say they've just got a few weeks. But if you notice they're getting weaker day by day, then you know that they might be coming, you know, coming into the last few weeks or days of life. So people get weaker, they struggle to get out of bed, they eat and drink less, struggle to take their tablets, and at that point, sometimes we stop tablets and give drugs in different ways. Um, and then eventually, they talk less and less until they sort of go off to sleep and stop talking. Then that process can take weeks, it can take days. Sometimes it happens very quickly over a few hours. So it isn't, you can't always predict exactly when it's going to happen. And very near the end, people's breathing can change, so you get noisy breathing. It's, people know it as a death rattle. I don't know if anyone ever heard that. If you're looking after someone, you might. But it's not something to be frightened of, because it's normal. It's just the person's lost control. And usually, they're very comfortable and peaceful underneath. Um, so most people just drift away quietly, peacefully, um, but sometimes need drugs to help them stay comfortable. But obviously occasionally people, even with advanced illnesses, can have a heart attack, they can get hit by a car, things can happen suddenly, so you can't always predict. But again, if you are worried, that it's to talk to the healthcare professionals who are looking after the person that you're, you're with, and they can explain what's happening. How can we support people who have learning disability or how does them over grieving I think we've probably heard the answer today and it's talk to people <laughs> you know it, if, you've no, if you know someone's lost a relative recently in this country it's the taboo death that people don't like to talk about and you'll cross the road rather than talk to someone who you know has lost a relative um, and that's the whole idea of Dying Matters, is that we try and open it up and make it normal to discuss death and dying. The, the, sorry, the, the, so if you know someone's died, you, 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 or, and you know the relatives, you just go up, or friends, just go and say, how are you feeling, sorry to hear about, and then talk about them with them, have memories with them. With someone with a disability, it can be difficult to know how they're expressing their grief. And again, this is where carers, families, they know their, their friend or their, their family member best. And it might be changing behavior. Maybe they've gone off their food. Maybe they're getting angry, which we heard about earlier as a way that some people respond. And it can be difficult to find the words to to help them express their grief. Um, but talking always helps. And it can be going through books, it can be listening to music, finding different ways of expressing grief. Um, and occasionally, people would get stuck in grief and need help. And again, uh, I don't know if the learning disability team still has a psychologist that will, that you can have complex um, grief counseling. Um, obviously, it, for people with learning disability, it can be specialist. But the main thing is just talking to people 
and letting them express their emotions and acknowledging it. I'm not an expert on grief, but um, that's what I try and do. We hope you must got much out on this session as we, as we did. Talking with Mike reminds us how lucky we are to have people like him in our world helping us at our highest moments. Please take a business card with a, with a QR code listen to this program episode when you released. And, and please go with cards. She's going to bring them out to you in a minute. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. That was great, guys. What good questions, really. Perfect questions and very helpful answers. Thank you, Mike. That is all for the time we had at this event, but I think we would love to have make visits our studio for a part two to ask some questions that the rest of the broadcast team would like to know the answer to a big thank you to our office team for covering the event and thanks to everyone who made the event possible. We'll see you in the next episode. Remember to like, share and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us by searching for the People First podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>